Hello Atlanta, it is Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750 WSB and Atlanta's Evening News. The phone number is 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Yes, uh, full disclosure tonight, uh, not right now though, but tonight we do have to talk about Game of Thrones. We, we do. Uh, and, and possibly the Avengers, a billion dollar opening. Wow. Before we get to anything though, in sad news of the day, well, you, you know what? I, I'm going to go from, from sad news to sad news here at the beginning. Uh, first of all, I'm, I'm going to abuse my time here as your host and ask for prayers for a, a friend, uh, my friend Aaron here in Atlanta. Uh, he writes at The Resurgent with me, uh, one of the first writers we brought on to The Resurgent. Uh, pastor and book publisher here in town on Thursday had a massive stroke uh, and is in ICU in Emory. Uh, he is he's not doing well at all. Uh, Aaron and his family could desperately use prayers, uh, desperately use a miracle. His kids are my kids' age. I went by the hospital uh, earlier today to to see him and his wife. Um, it's just sad. Uh, definitely could use prayers. Um, in the other sad news is the synagogue shooting in California that was thankfully uh, not as bad as it could have been. Uh, they are saying it was very much a miracle. The gun jammed. And of course, the media sought out the political angle rather quickly. I've got to say I'm rather disgusted by how quickly the media wanted to run with the political angle on this. Um, first, here is uh, NBC. Yeah, so both this shooter and the Christchurch shooter and the one this in the synagogue in Pittsburgh from Robert Bowers from six months ago to the day of this shooting, by the way, all said, you know, President Trump is not doing enough to stop this scourge of immigrants, the scourge of Muslims and Mexicans coming into the country. So while they disavow the president, they don't disavow the policy. They want more violence in, embedded into that policy. There has been this sort of rewriting of history this weekend by several people, um, several politicians specifically, saying that this had something to do with a New York Times cartoon or this had something to do with Ilan Omar. These people hate Ilan Omar. They don't read the New York Times. Part of being a white nationalist is not reading mainstream media, not not being a part of those spheres. They they take the rhetoric of the far right and they try to amplify it to create a race war. That's the whole point of this. You know, I, I want to spend a little bit of time on this race war stuff uh, because the media is deeply culpable on this. Uh, there's a separate story today, but uh, this idea of blaming Donald Trump, blaming Donald Trump supporters for these things, you know, they're having to actually say, and I'm not going to use the the shooter's name, by the way. Uh, there's no reason to give him the attention he craves in something like that. Uh, but the media is saying, pay no attention to his manifesto. Pay no attention to the things he says. Pay attention to the ideas he espouses. And the ideas he supposedly espouses are aligned with Donald Trump. The reason This is the same thing, by the way, with the, the shooter at the, in Christchurch in New Zealand that pay no attention to the things he says, pay attention to what he believes is is what they're saying. And the reason they have to say it that way is because if you were to read the manifesto and letters of the shooter in Christchurch, which, by the way, um, he was a, a 8chan, I guess it was, or 4chan. He was a guy who was deeply embedded in internet subculture and threw a lot of things into his writings to raise all of the red flags for the media. Uh, he said a lot of things. That, that I'm talking about the New Zealand guy. He, he intentionally, knowingly, willfully said a bunch of things designed to trip the media's censors on alt-right uh, racist nationalism to be able to blame Donald Trump. And anyone who knows anything about that subculture on the Internet, and there were plenty of stories, including in the New York Times, as to why they didn't cover it in the way people expected them to was because they weren't sure what was true and what wasn't based on this guy's history. The same is possibly true for the San Diego shooter. We, we don't know all the details yet, but what we do know is that he was deeply, deeply critical, deeply hostily critical of Donald Trump. Did not like Donald Trump, neither did the guy in New Zealand. And the reason being is because though Donald Trump is an immigration uh, restrictionist, he's not an immigration absolutist. Uh, he, he's not opposed to bringing people of a different race into this country. He just wants them to come here legally. What the media is trying to do in these situations, I, I think it's very important to d understand this, is they're trying to get rid of the distinction between people who oppose 
illegal immigration and the people who oppose immigration. Because there are a lot of legitimate non-racist people out there who oppose illegal immigration. There are a lot of people out there who, for non-racial reasons, oppose increased immigration. I think they're wrong, but they have reasons, particularly jobs, uh, that they use in opposition. There are people, though, who believe we are a white nation and we should restrict immigration, uh, prohibit anyone from coming to this country if they're not white. Yes, those people exist. That's not Donald Trump's view. It's not my view. It's not the Republican Party's view. But the media has done a really good job in the last couple of years of trying to blend it all together. So you have to actually understand that these shooters are not Trump supporters, and this is why they're also deeply critical of Donald Trump. Perhaps they thought he was one of them, and he's shown himself not to be, and they're very angry with him. And the media can't actually go down this road because if the media were to go down this road, they would expose themselves as being liars and misrepresenting a lot of the immigration restrictionist sentiment in the country. That has nothing to do with race and everything to do with economic issues. So they have to avoid that. But there's more here that is emblematic of what the media is doing because there was another story completely unrelated to the shooting we need to talk about. Um, Before I get to this other story, though, just in case you think, oh, that's MSNBC, MSNBC is kind of fringy. No, no, I want to play this media montage for you. This is an epidemic, and we have a president who will not, who not only will not acknowledge that we have an epidemic of white nationalist terror after New Zealand said just a few people, he's providing the mood music for it. That is the reality we face. Yeah, I think the president needs to at some point look in the mirror and understand that the rhetoric, the words he uses in all of this, inflame this big part of what's going on in America, give permission to the most craziest people in America. And it happens in part because there's a climate set at the top of unbelievable constant lies and hostility and and division in this country not only as policy but has with his affect the conspiracy theories cited by these neo-nazis in pittsburgh and new zealand and now outside san diego conspiracy theory that trump never condemned and actually uh... seemed to support and we don't know if it has any connection to um, to the politics that's going on but i mean it would be a stretch to to say that it doesn't. Somebody that's anti-immigrant in California, the anti-immigrant hate and refugees that's going on in the country, what happened at the Tree of Life, and then you couple that with the president's language, it's a big problem. And remember, Donald Trump just over the last couple of days have been defending what he said in Charlottesville. And it echoed, called back into our memory, right? Something that just happened not too long ago. What happened in Pittsburgh? Donald Trump and all of this hate Right. It's part of the environment of today. And he, he bears some responsibility for it. He bears some responsibility for it. You know who else really bears responsibility for it? The media. I want to read you some headlines. Here's the headline from Time magazine. Kyler Murray, a black man, was the number one NFL draft pick. Trump congratulated the number two pick instead. Here's the headline from The Washington Post. Trump praises NFL number two pick Nick Bosa. Doesn't mention top pick Kyler Murray. And then goes on to point out Kyler Murray's black, Nick Bosa's white. Here's the headline at Vox. Trump congratulates the number two NFL draft pick, a supporter who called Kaepernick a clown. This is willfully stirring uh, racial animosity in this country. Anybody know why the president um, praised Nick Bosa, the number two NFL draft pick? Nick Bosa is a college student at the at Ohio State, football player, number two pick in the NFL draft. And Bosa has, a, he's called Colin Kaepernick a clown, got a lot of national attention. The media assailed him for that. He also followed someone he went to high school with. His friend uh, went to school in Florida for college. And uh, that friend on several Instagram posts uh, had used the a hashtag that included the N-word. And they, they were pictures of him and girls and him doing other things. And Nick Bosa had liked those pictures. And in the pile of hashtags used, uh, one of them had the N-word. And so USA Today, which has already tried to destroy other high school and college students based on their social media history, went into overtime trying to destroy Nick Bosa, the Ohio State football player. Uh, Bosa probably needed to have better sense in, in what he was doing in social media, but he himself was not making uh, racially offensive statements. 
statements unless you include calling Colin Kaepernick a clown racially offensive. But the response was from left-wing activists and even some members of the of the sports media were to not only shun Nick Bosa, but also to try to get the NFL to not draft Nick Bosa, essentially to make him the white Colin Kaepernick, to, to uh, encourage teams to not pick Bosa, to encourage teams to shun him, to encourage teams to drive him out. Uh, Many left-wing activists tried to make his social media history and support of the president radioactive, make it something that the NFL would be turned off to, make it something that sports agents would be turned off to. Several prominent left-wing activists tried to find the sports agent representing Nick Bosa and pressure that person to drop Bosa. Uh, And Bosa really aggravated them by praising the president. He repeatedly tweeted uh, the president, uh, praising the president, using the MAGA, Make America Great Again hashtag, praised Ronald Reagan, conservatives and Republicans. And that's what has the left furious. So, of course, the president of the United States was going to reach out to this guy and say congratulations. Uh, The guy was uh, the victim of the left-wing rage machine solely for supporting the president of the United States. The media left all of that out. The media didn't want to point out that uh, Nick Bosa has been repeatedly attacked by left-wing activists. They did not want to point out that the left was making it a cause to try to get him blocked from the NFL draft. They left out the fact that all of this was because the guy was a supporter of the president. They left all of that out. Instead, they run irresponsible headlines like the one at Time magazine. Kyler Murray, a black man, was the number one NFL draft pick. Trump congratulated the number two pick instead. Yes, because the number two pick has been a vocal supporter of the president even though people tried to drive him out of football because of it. So naturally, the president was going to reach out to that guy. But you never know that from the media. You know, when I do these live reads for sponsorships for the podcast, uh, I get a script and I can read the script or not. Uh, And the calm script begins, stress is a worldwide epidemic. We're working longer hours. We're inundated with the constant news cycles and we're more connected than ever before. Stress is a part of life, but it can very easily affect our overall well-being. And then it goes into talking about, I I don't have to tell you about stress. I can tell you about real world. Uh, Calm has become an app in my family uh, that we pretty much all use. Um, My son uses Calm every night. My daughter uses it. I use it when I'm on trips. My wife uses it. Uh, It is an app that has meditation. I shouldn't say meditation but basically guided meditation, relaxations, uh, play stories or music at night. Um, That's when my kids use it. My kids don't like to go to sleep in the quiet and the dark. So they use the call map and the call map, they read stories. In fact, my son is deeply, deeply frustrated because there's one story that he reads or has read to him on the call map and he can never finish it. And he wants to finish the story. And he's afraid that if he stays up during the day to listen to it, that he'll fall asleep during the day. So he's scared to listen to it, but he wants to finish the story. It's actually very cute. Uh, It really is a great app. Uh, If you want to relax and you're having trouble unplugging, if you want something to listen to, to help you go to sleep at night, uh, calm is a great way to do it. Non-medicated. You just listen to calm right now. Listeners of this podcast get 25% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash Eric. That's C-A-L-M dot com slash Eric. Get unlimited access to all of Calm's content today at calm.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Get Calm, stop stressing. But here's the other thing. Uh, I really am a user of this product and really have been a user of this product before they started sponsoring this podcast. Jonathan V. Last at uh, the Sub Beacon podcast recommended it to me for my kids. And that's when we got it and I love it and I unqualified uh, give this an unqualified recommendation get calm if you want a great way to listen to something to help you relax and go to sleep It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number 404-872-0750 1-800-WSB talk. Let's go to Noonan and Wolf. Welcome to WSB Hello. How are you? Uh, happy Monday. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I put on uh, rainy days and Mondays from the Carpenters this morning over the loudspeakers. Oh, there you go. So, but uh, I had two questions for you. Okay. Number, number one, on all this issue with the shooting and everybody blaming Trump, how is that different than Maxine Waters telling liberals to attack republicans 
at uh, restaurants, at Walmart, at RJ, uh, whatever. And then oh. my second question, and my second question is with the with the young lady that was just convicted of murder of her stepchild, starving her to death, and and trying to burn the body. With with defending herself and calling no witnesses, doing nothing. Could that be suicide by judge and jury? Hmm. Well, like uh, like suicide by cop. Yeah, 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 she may very well be trying to, to get the death penalty and something like that. I don't know that they'll give it to her. She seems pretty crazy. Um, it's a, that whole thing just is, it makes me sad. Uh, this is clearly not a, a mentally stable person doing that. Um, on the first, though, yeah, I do think that the media is treating, Don- they feel threatened by Donald Trump. I know members of the media who have gotten a lot of death threats uh, because the president calls them enemy of the people. Listen, y'all, I mean, just from very real world personal experience, the president during the campaign in 2016, when I did not support him, went on a tirade about me on social media. And we had to have armed guards at our home for three months. Uh, We literally had people show up on our front porch to threaten my family. Uh, there are crazy people out there and, and things that might otherwise be innocuous to you and me, uh, drive them crazy. Look at the guy who tried to mass assassinate Republican members of Congress two years ago. Amazing how the media and the Democrats, uh, try never to, to credit that, uh, to democratic rhetoric. It's always president Trump caused these shootings, uh, all around the world, but yet the Democrats and their rhetoric get a complete pass on a mass assassination attempt of Republicans. Funny how that works out there. The hypocrisy with the media when it comes to these stories is really, really rich and really, really irresponsible as well. Hello there. Uh, I want to talk about something. And I can't promise there won't be spoilers for those of you who have seen it. Um, and, I, you know, I, I try never to devote significant attention on this program to things that I, I really like. I mean, I occasionally talk about cooking, uh, like uh, Bort would talk about his plane. But I try not to spend too much time on it. But I just I can't help but think that just given the numbers, there are going to be a lot of you who also watch Game of Thrones and saw last night's show. And frankly, I, I'm in this odd situation where none of my family watches it. Uh, my wife's convinced that she needs to pray for my soul for watching. And I got to say, uh, the first several seasons of the program were pretty violent uh, and explicit. A lot of adult content. It has very much toned itself down over the years. Uh, it's now been on, this is eight seasons, and it's really been on for nine years. And it has very much tamed itself uh, in terms of uh, adult content, both violent and, and sexually explicit. The first couple of years, though, it really was. I, it, luckily, I did not come into the series in the beginning and was able to watch it and essentially fast forward through those sorts of things um, because I don't want that stuff in my brain to begin with. I don't need to see someone disemboweled, um, let alone all the, the incest and whatnot that was depicted in there. But it is it is a phenomenally well-written show. And uh, these last two episodes, I think, have been two of the best, although last night's episode is proving very, very controversial. And there's a huge amount of uh, controversy over it because one of the things Game of Thrones is known for is your favorite characters unexpectedly and often tragically die. And that really didn't happen last night. Uh, a lot of people criticizing the show for not killing enough people, which is a staggering, a show that has been a bloodbath for eight years, including the so-called Red Wedding, where some of those popular characters in the show got killed in one night. Uh, that didn't really happen. And I do have to say, I thought last night's episode was actually a really, really good episode. Uh, it was stressful. My Apple Watch, I, I'm not making this up, my Apple Watch genuinely fired off a high heart rate warning at one point during the show. Uh, in fact, I can tell you that, that the moment it was was when the dead figured out how to cross the fire. Uh, there was a line of fire. Fire kills the dead people who are walking, the zombies, so to speak. They call them whites. 
And when they figured out how to cross that fire, oh my goodness, I thought we would at least have a bit of a respite to it. Nope, nope, we didn't. Um, it was, it was just, it was crazy. It was a mind-numbing episode. But there's something else here. There are a lot of complaints that the show is very, very dark. Let me spend a little bit of time here um, because I, I got questions and I don't actually even have answers. I've got questions. Um, I watched live on HBO last night, Game of Thrones, and it was hard to watch. Not hard to watch in that it was tough to watch the, the violence and, and gore depicted on the screen and the scares. It was tough to watch in that it was very pixelated. I have a, a very good high-def TV, and it was very, very pixelated, very grainy. Um, it looked like it was uh, standard-definition television being broadcast on a high-definition screen. The picture looked terrible. And I couldn't figure out what was going on, and it made it very, very... The scenes, there were a lot of scenes that were very, very dark. It was very hard to see what was going on. And after the show was over, I thought, is it really... I want to see what it looks like on uh, HBO Go. And so I started streaming it again on HBO Go. And there is, for example, at the very beginning of, of the show, there is one of the most cinematic scenes I've seen in a TV or a movie. It is, you see from a distance, uh, a cavalry carrying torches, flaming swords really at night, rushing forward into the darkness. And then you see it from their view and they encounter something and the scene cuts very quickly. And on the TV screen, it was very, very grainy. You couldn't actually tell what it was. And if you actually watched the streaming in high definition, you could see it was a wall of whites, the zombies that they ran into. You could see it very quickly, but you couldn't tell that on the TV. And I don't know why my live direct TV was of such poor quality. And it's been like that every week on Game of Thrones. And, and I don't understand why. But now to last night's show. So into the substance of an episode that isn't really divisive outside of social media, but obviously everybody fights on social media. And I've got a lot of friends who are deeply critical of the episode uh, that it was uh, Avengers Game of Thrones. Uh, it was a more and more. There are a lot of people who want very nuanced characters. And one of the things Game of Thrones has excelled at, other than killing off your the people you didn't expect to die, uh, rendering shocks, is that the characters are very, very nuanced. And yet George R.R. R. Martin, who has written the series and has yet to finish it, there's still two books left in the series, and I don't think he's ever going to finish. Uh, he created a, it, it wove it into a medieval, if you're not familiar with it, it's a midi set in a medieval fantasy era. There's magic, although the magic is not used in the TV show as much as it is in the books. The fantasy element, the elements, they're dragons. Dragons, um, but there are these group of people, the other, they call them in the books, in the TV show, they're the White Walkers. Uh, they live north of a high ice wall that was built to keep them out, and the wall has magic. They cannot penetrate it uh, until they figure out a way to get through it, and the Night King and the White Walkers can raise the dead. And so they also have zombies. They call them whites. And a lot of people on the left have said, oh, this is an existential threat. It is about climate change. It's about global warming. Uh, and, of course, everyone on the left loved that analogy and, and has really picked up on it. Well, the, the Night King met his match last night, and it proves one person could get rid of global warming, I guess, because global warming turns out really not to be the threat if, if it's like the Night King. But that's kind of one of the things that aggravated people is that you build this existential threat over eight seasons, and then in one episode, the bad guy and everyone associated with the bad guy is wiped out. Uh, unexpectedly, by surprise, uh, deus ex machina, as, as someone has said, but not really. Uh, I was personally satisfied with it. I was overwhelmed. Again, high heart rate sensor went off. And I do wish they had given two episodes to this. If I were the HBO showrunners, what I would have done is uh, Winterfell would have fallen. The heroes would have had to evacuate and retreat. And the last scene would have been the Night King capturing Brienne of Tarth and turning her into a White Walker. Uh, that's what I would have done. And then in the next episode, finish off the fight. Because the real fight and the where Game of Thrones really excels is in the um, political machinations of what would we consider the real world. The fighting between the humans, the political intrigue, the backstabbing, the people who are not on the throne but behind the throne uh, engaging with each other and steering the people on the throne in ways that uh, bring them into conflict. Uh, and there is a conflict that's going to come between 
between uh, the Targaryen and, and the Starks, the Targaryens and the Starks. It's it's going to happen. It has to happen. But I do wish they could have drawn out the White Walkers a little longer. That being said, this was the longest battle sequence ever put to film, whether on TV or film. Uh, it was longer than the battle sequence that's in the Avengers Endgame movie now, which, by the way, crossed a billion dollars in its first weekend. That's staggering. It's longer than the scenes in the Lord of the Rings series. It is the longest uh, action sequence, and it was beautiful. It was uh, cinemagraphic. It was just, it was it was absolutely staggering how they did it. One of the other complaints a lot of people are saying, oh, it was, it was you couldn't tell what was going on. It was dark. It was grimy. I think that was actually intentional because this is a, a battle. This is the war to end all wars, potentially. And so it was dark. It was grimy. It was chaotic. You had a hard time. Occasionally, they did a very good job of slowing things down so you could see where the different people are and who they were fighting before speeding it back up and moving. I was just, I was amazed by the whole thing. I was delighted. I was overwhelmed. Uh, I, I sat there and thought, man, there's nobody I can talk to about this. And then a buddy of mine started texting who he had been up all night and he's like, I can't go to sleep now. I'm overwhelmed. I, I got to go have like a glass of bourbon to settle myself down. It was, it was crazy. But the larger thing here is that the reason I know I can comfortably talk about a show like that now is that this is a program that is going to be watched by the end of this week, that episode will be watched by 100 million people worldwide. 100 million people. It will be watched by the end of tonight. More than 20 million people will have watched that episode. Um, that's crazy, actually. The numbers are staggering that that many people are watching a show like that. It's Those are numbers that you get from Hollywood movies. And yet it's become a cultural phenomenon. And in large part, it's become a cultural phenomenon because HBO is a network that you pay to watch movies and really good shows. I'm afraid AT&T is going to kill and ruin HBO. That That's a monologue for another day. Um, but HBO started the show before Netflix, before Hulu, before Amazon Prime. And so people who wanted that caliber of episode of TV had to go to HBO. And it's the last major uh, TV production where people had to tune into TV to see it. And we're not going to see anything like this where 100 million people by the end of the week will have watched an episode of something. That's just not going to happen here on out. Uh, it's a cultural phenomenon, and it is worth spending some time talking about. I should point this out. Um, one reason that the the showrunners of, of Game of Thrones, for those of you who don't keep up with the show, it's, it's a series of seven books. Uh, and only five of the seven books have actually been written by George R. R. Martin. He has not finished the last two. Uh, so halfway through the sixth season of Game of Thrones, the, the books kind of end. And he had to provide the writers, uh, the showrunners, a multi-page outline and sit with them over some time to describe how the story would wind up. And and there were things that uh, people knew going into it. He had said in an interview before that uh, the character of Arya Stark, uh, one of the girl's uh, protagonists, uh, she could not die. His wife promised that she would not die. And then there's a uh, Samuel Tarley, another character in the series, is supposed to be a reflection of uh, George R. R. Martin himself, so it's presumed he won't die. Um, it, it is a, it's a staggering show though. Unfortunately, uh, they've run out the clock on it. A, the show's benefited by having 10 episodes a season that could stretch things out. Uh, and in the seventh season and the eighth season, they didn't want to renegotiate salaries with the cast. They had them through the eighth season through 10 episodes, basically. And, and, uh, they were able to stretch things out, uh, to make it work in two seasons, so each episode is very long. Last night's episode was an hour and a half. They're typically all an hour long, but they've only got six episodes. So they got three episodes left. Now they've killed off the existential threat. When we come back, the Republicans' existential threat in Georgia, it's named Stacey, a Stacey Abrams. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 
us discuss Georgia news. Welcome, it's Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. The phone number, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. As the AJC notes, it is decision time for Stacey Abrams. Will she or won't she run for the Senate? Uh, most Democrats in Georgia now think she's going to decide not to. Uh, the reason it is decision time is she said she would make up her mind by the end of April. 30 days has September, April, June, and November, which means she must make up her mind by tomorrow and apparently is going to do so. What I find interesting is that in an interview with the New York Times Magazine, she says she won the gubernatorial election. She won the election. In fact, Stacey Abrams' group has now come out and started putting an asterisk next to Governor Kemp's name, essentially claiming he stole the election. Can you imagine if Brian Kemp did that with a media reaction would do? Can you imagine if Abrams had won and Kemp went out and started disrespecting the electoral process? You know, there's actually a story in the AJC today that it turns out uh, because of Brian Kemp implementing an automatic voter registration system when he was Secretary of State, uh, Georgia has 681,000 newly registered voters pushing the state's total to a record high of 7 million voters. 94% more voters registered in Georgia than if the state hadn't implemented the voter registration system in September of 2016 when Brian Kemp as Secretary of State decided to do that. So Kemp, uh, Abrams is out there saying Kemp suppressed the vote. She got more votes than Hillary Clinton did in Georgia. And more people are registered to vote in Georgia thanks to Brian Kemp implementing uh, voter registration. It's just fascinating to me. Um, it, it, it's, it's crazy. Uh, and yet that's what she's doing. And so tomorrow she is going to claim that she, or tomorrow she's going to tell us whether or not she's going to run for office, whether or not she's going to run for the Senate when she thinks she won the governorship. I wonder if she wants people to start referring to her as governor instead of leader Abrams. Should people start referring to her as governor Abrams? This is sore loser stuff. But you need to understand a couple of things. And I don't think she's going to run for the Senate. And I want to lay that out for you. I did a couple of weeks ago, but I've been getting a lot of questions. So obviously I know how this works. Some days people listen to the show. Some days they can't. Um, I want to break down for you why I don't actually think Stacey Abrams will run from the Senate. Now, she could prove me wrong tomorrow and announce that she will. Uh, There are problems for her if she does. I I don't think she will. Okay, here's why I think that Abrams is not going to run for the Senate and might actually run for president. Because the thing she really wants to do is she wants to be governor of Georgia. Abrams has wanted for a long time to be governor of Georgia. And the result of this is if she runs for the Senate, one of two things happens. She either wins or she loses. She'll be the she'll be the Democrat nominee. I mean, people are stepping aside, waiting for her to decide what she wants to do. Democrats of the state are actually getting very angry because they're tired of waiting. They, they want her to make up her mind. But if she runs, she's either going to win or she's going to lose. What happens if, if Abrams wins in 2020? If Abrams has won in 2020, that probably means there's been a really big Democratic wave, and it probably means that President Trump has lost re-election, uh, that he's lost Georgia. It's probably bad for Republicans. That means she goes to the Senate. Well, uh, if there's a Democratic president, off your elections tend to go for the party opposite which means if she then wanted to run for governor in 2022, she would be running in what would probably be, a, more likely than not, historically, would be a Republican wave, uh, a, a backlash, and a correction in the other, other direction. After 2020, it happens all the time. Barack Obama in 2010. Uh, Donald Trump in 2018 happens all the time. So the odds would be against her then winning the governorship in, in 2022. But on top of that, she would have just been elected to the Senate and would have a real hard time justifying leaving the Senate after two years to run for governor, uh, a perpetually, uh, perpetually ambitious candidates, uh, voters tend to not like those. And then the, what happens if she loses? If she loses, then Abrams is suddenly vulnerable for 2022 because the Democrats will stop letting her be the front runner. 
She lost in 2018. She lost in 2020. There's no reason for Democrats to treat her in 2022 as their nominee. Uh, she can scream, she and her supporters can scream racism all they want, but it's not going to work in 2022 if she were to run against Purdue and lose in 2020. But if she doesn't run, she's got to keep her name out there. And stirring the pot in Georgia really isn't the way to do it. Uh, if you run as a single-issue candidate for president, you get to fundraise. So Abrams could run as the Voting Rights Act candidate of 2020. She could run knowing she's not going to be the nominee, but run on the issue of we got to fix voting rights in the nation. Look what happened to me in Georgia. Play the victim card on the campaign trail and raise money from liberal donors. And that money goes into her nonprofit or into her presidential campaign. And if into her presidential campaign... She's then building a national pot for 2022 to run against Brian Kemp, and she's able to put her name out there as someone who cares about this issue, as someone who who really does believe that black voters are being suppressed and targeted by Republicans, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It makes sense to me that she would run for president, or if not run for president, she would take a higher profile than just her little nonprofit that's suing people in Georgia. She needs to keep her name out there. She's got to fundraise. She needs the money. She she needs the operation. She really wants to be governor in 2022, and she's got to find a path forward for that. Running for the Senate is not a path forward for governor in 2022. There's too much risk involved. Abrams is not really a, a candidate that likes a lot of risk. She wants to be governor in 2022. If she runs and loses in 2020, that eliminates her for 2022 as the nominee. If she wins, it hurts her in 2022. If she doesn't, if she runs for president, no one's going to hurt her. No one's going to think that Stacey Abrams could actually be the Democratic nominee. So no one come 2022 in Georgia is going to say, hey, she's lost twice. She can't be our nominee. No, they're going to say, hey, she ran for president and she was able to get attention to an issue we care about. She was able to get attention to the voter suppression issue and fire people up on that issue. And if so, well, I mean... More power to her. But there is a problem. And that problem is Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp in 2018 uh, ran and turned off some voters on his uh, Jake ad with guns. Uh, there are a lot of people I know who didn't like that and other people who really didn't like the immigration ad. Brian Kemp ran those ads because he needed to get the Republican nomination. And guess what? They helped him. Uh, all of the data that I know of suggests that Brian Kemp was winning the primary before the president endorsed him. But then the president endorsed him, and that hurt Brian Kemp as well with a segment of suburban women voters. He had those three issues as baggage uh, against him, holding him down in the suburbs. But he won't have those issues in 2022. Brian Kemp will be his own man. He, he'll he'll have his own record. He'll have his own policies. He'll have he'll have economic success in the state. He will be able to distinguish himself from the president. He won't be in the president's shadow in 2022. Brian Kemp will be able to be helped in 2022. And if the president loses in 2020, that just helps Kemp further in 2022, as there will be a, a Republican wave in an off-year election, as there always is. The party out of power does well. And Abrams will be able to do what? Say she ran around the country for four years and complained while Brian Kemp was racking up success in Georgia? That's not going to help her e either. But she's got to be the nominee to even have that fight. And running for Senate makes it less likely she can be that nominee in 2022. Okay, y'all, quick time out for a sponsor. This is a great one. Uh, thanks to them for being back. Because uh, admit it, you think cybercrime is something that happens to other people. It doesn't happen to you. No one wants your data. No one's going to be able to hack into you. You think you're perfectly safe. No one's going to get your credit card details. But you would be wrong. Stealing data from unsuspecting people on public Wi-Fi is one of the simplest, cheapest ways for hackers to make money. They'll sit in the coffee shop and wait for you to log on to public Wi-Fi, and they will steal your information so you can protect yourself from cyber criminals with ExpressVPN. It secures and makes anonymous your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. It's got easy 
easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of your computer, your phone, your tablet, and turning it on takes just one click. Using ExpressVPN, you can safely surf public Wi-Fi without being snooped on, without your personal data stolen, without those people sitting in the back of the coffee shop stealing the info off your computer. It is that good. Protect your online activities today. Find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash Eric. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Eric for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash Eric to learn more. I love my butterfly pillow. My butterfly pillow, they actually, the company's called my butterfly pillow and they sent me the pillow to see if I would actually do an endorsement for them. And I tried it out. Wasn't something I sought out. It wasn't something I knew that existed. And now I'm glad that I do. Uh, I'm a side sleeper and you know, my schedule's so crazy now I'm having to take naps and trying to get in bed and get comfortable and whatnot. My pillow, my butterfly pillow makes it easy. It gives you support in all the places you need it most. Keeps your neck and spine in alignment throughout the night. It's patented sleep technology to elevate your head to where you need it, including a place to fit your arm and a pillow and a pillow for your ear. It's adjustable in height. They really put a lot of thought into this, and it's just a pillow, and they put that much thought into it. The thing that I really like about it is my butterfly pillow has a Bluetooth-adapted night owl speaker. You can listen to music, sounds, your smart TV through the speaker. It's a really good speaker, and you're just enveloped in the sound in this pillow. Listeners to my show can save $30 off the list price of $129. You use code ERIC at checkout. You'll get my butterfly pillow for just $99 plus free shipping in the continental U.S. Go to MyButterflyPillow.com, enter code ERIC at checkout, and save $30 and get free shipping. That's MyButterflyPillow.com. The checkout code is ERIC. You can listen. This is my napping pillow, and you'll get a great nap. Use it at night. Get a great night's sleep with my butterfly pillow. Welcome back. The phone number here, 404-872-0750, wsb talk I got to laugh. Uh, Brian Kemp, our governor, legitimately lawfully elected governor, signed legislation uh, that prohibits the use of drones to deliver contraband to prisoners. <laughs> Why do we need a law for that? I mean, I, I, and not being critical of the governor for signing it, clearly there was a reason that we needed a, <laughs> we needed a law for this. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious um okay there's breaking news happening right now uh it, it looks like the department of justice is confirming deputy attorney general rod rosenstein has sent his resignation letter to president trump uh effective date will be may 11th rod rosenstein who had been rumored to be out multiple times over the last two years uh rumors flying last year that he was going to quit uh remember there is supposedly claimed he would wear a wire and go to the White House, all sorts of claims about Rosenstein. Well, uh, now it looks like it's official. He is resigning. May 11th will be his last day. He has formally sent his resignation letter to the President of the United States. We'll keep you posted uh, as that develops. Uh, when we come back, you know, I... I am often critical of the media, and I'm critical oftentimes of local media as well. I do think that there is a, a liberal bent, uh, and the data actually bears that out. The Pew study of the media, the uh, reporters tend to be much more liberal socially and fiscally. They tend to be much more isolated. Uh, even a lot of members of local media here in Atlanta uh, fit that bill. They tend to come uh, from a, a liberal ideology. They tend to favor big government, things like that. But I want to talk about a story that probably would not be getting attention but for local media, and in particular, but for the AJC. Uh, it's a story you actually need to know about if you have children and your children are going to the dentist. Uh, this is actually a really big deal. So stick around if you got kids. I, I, I want to talk about something, but first, I, I'm annoyed by our, our open mic person. I want to play this audio again from open mic and, and just have a, a brief comment. I hope this person is listening to this program. He can go pack sand. How dare he or any government official telling me what I have to do, what is best for me. It's like the seatbelt law. What a crock of crap. I'm so sick of the government stepping on our toes, telling us what we have to do for ourselves. 
if I don't take a vaccination, it doesn't harm anybody else but me. Enough is enough. Doesn't stop or prevent a disease. Doesn't slow it down. Give me a break, folks. Enough is enough. Dude, you're an idiot. Uh, and yeah, I do mean that insultingly, and I hope you take it as such. Uh, you know who you harm by not taking a vaccine and getting the measles as a result? My wife. My wife has had the MMR. My, my wife should be immune to the MMR or to measles, but she has cancer. And as a result, she is on a drug that suppresses her immune system. So you not getting your vaccines can cause my wife to get sick and die. It's not just you. It's not just about you. Uh, you and I, all of us have obligations in our community. All of us have obligations to be good neighbors. All of us have obligations as a society to do things uh, that help each other. And I'm talking about socialism. I'm talking about you, when there are communicable diseases that are easily spread, like the measles, all of us have an obligation to get a vaccine to prevent each other from getting sick and our children sick and possibly killing each other. When all we have to do is go in and get a shot. Are you scared of needles? Uh, don't tell me that it's just about you. It's not just about you. It's about the next door neighbor. It's about the people down the street. It's about the people in the grocery store, the elderly and the children, the people who can't get it, the people with cancer. It's about all of those people who you are putting at risk because of your arrogance and your idiocy and your lack of knowledge. Did you know that if you sneeze in a grocery store and have the measles, that people for two hours thereafter can become infected with the measles? Did you know that if you sneeze in a, in a grocery store or in a subway train, that within two hours, anyone who comes in the contact of that, nine out of 10 of them will contract the measles if they're not vaccinated. And did you know that the new measles strains that people are seeing, more and more people who are vaccinated as children are starting to get mild cases of the measles because eventually the MMR, you need another booster when you get into midlife. And we're only now figuring this out because we used to not have this problem because the measles were eradicated until a bunch of idiots got on the internet and found conspiracy theories that suggested measles cause autisms and other things when it doesn't. And they decided not to get vaccinated. And as a result of them not getting vaccinated, they're putting people like my wife in jeopardy of losing her life by getting measles because the idiots out there decided they weren't going to get vaccinated. All you got to do is go get a shot and you save yourself and a bunch of other people. What a selfish, arrogant thing to say that it doesn't affect anyone but you. It actually literally affects my wife. It literally affects senior citizens. It literally affects children who have not yet been vaccinated. All you idiots out there who decide that MRMR, it's not for you, the government can't tell you what to do. You know what? Go drive on the interstate in the opposite direction from traffic without wearing a seatbelt and see what happens to you. The government says you shouldn't do that. The government says you should go a particular direction and that you should wear your seatbelt. Just get in your car and, and go the opposite direction without a seatbelt and see what happens to you. Because the government says you shouldn't do that, you're going to go do it? Geniuses. There is a real reason the government wants you to get vaccinated. And it really doesn't have anything to do with you. It's very arrogant to think the government thinks it's about you and, and saving yourself. It's not. You know what it is? It's about all the people around you. It's about the cost of health care that all of us have to pay. It's about not causing brain damage to children who get the measles uh, because you didn't get vaccinated. I, it is grossly irresponsible and idiotic and the height of arrogance to think that because the government tells you to get a shot, you're not going to get a shot because the government shouldn't be able to tell you what to do. You know, there are some things I agree with you on that position. This is not one of them. When the measles is the most highly communicable disease. Again, if you sneeze, people who come into in contact with where you were two hours later We'll get the measles if they're not vaccinated or if they're on immuno immunosuppressants like my wife, they can get it. So go get your shot. Stop, stop carrying around conspiracy theories telling us it causes autism. It doesn't. What it does is it saves lives. Grow up. No, I'm, I'm not taking somebody's call who, who we've got someone on the call saying I'm off base with the MMR. People are not idiots. Yes, people are idiots if they're not going to go get the MMR. Yes, you are an idiot. You don't have to listen to this program. You are an idiot if you're not going to go get the MMR. We have decades and decades of history. The only objection I know of for people who don't want to get the MMR is that the original MMR vaccine was derived from aborted fetuses. And there are a lot of people who have a moral religious objection to the MMR vaccine. And I think that is 
entirely reasonable. But you know who disagrees with you? The Vatican disagrees with you. You know which pope? John Paul II. Do you know why? Because the original MMR was developed from uh, from aborted fetal tissue. The existing MMR, the one that you would get your kids, is not. Originally it was, and there was an objection, but more than three, four, five decades have passed since the creation of that vaccine. It has evolved in a number of ways, and it is no longer based on aborted fetal tissue. Go get your vaccine, people. Save my wife's life. Save your own family's life. Save the lives of those around you. Save people from getting a communicable disease that is easily treated. You know what? It, it, it really is. There is a level of arrogance in society now and a lack of truth. You know what? If you're a Christian, you believe in truth. You believe in truth because God himself is truth. There are real true things. You may read on the Internet that, oh, it's situational ethics. I, I don't want it for me. It's not right for me. It may be right for that person. No, there are some things that are real true, and there are some things that are really not true. And one of the things that are really not true is that this this vaccine will somehow cause you harm, will cause your children harm. Do you know what? Since 1983, the, the U.S. government actually has a pool of money set aside for people who are harmed by vaccines. You, If you are harmed or someone in your family is harmed by a vaccine, you can get millions of dollars from the federal government. It's in a trust fund. All you have to do is show a claim that you got harmed by a vaccine. You know how many claims have been filed since 1983? 16,000. Do you know how many claims have actually resulted in getting paid? Less than 6,000 people. Less than 6,000 people since 1983. You're probably not one of those 6,000 people out of a nation of 350 million people. Stop making stuff up to avoid the MMR. Listen, I, I I know we oftentimes give um, a bad rap to the media, but occasionally you get stories. This is from Johnny Edwards at the AJC. He's also the uh, reporter who broke the David Ralston story. Uh, some of the, this is from the AJC. Some of the children were still in preschool when their dentists put them under the drill for root canals, which some say may not have been needed. That was only the beginning of the suffering they would endure, according to lawsuits filed by their parents and a CDC report. Uh, a lot of this came from um, dentistry for children in their Jonesboro office. Uh, it's part of a corporate-owned dental chain called Dentistry for Children, and these children became uh, infected with a bacteria. Many of them had to be treated by Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. I have put this story in my Twitter feed. You really need to go check it out, and kudos to the AJC for getting this story out there.